We have scheduled readings that, that cover three years of church if we want to follow them. Lots of churches do this. Lots of churches do this with the same schedule of readings. And so the readings for today include this gospel where Jesus is talking about children. But everything you hear from Jesus talking about anything at all in the gospels what came out of an occasion that he was in. And the occasion that he was in was that his disciples came to him and asked him, who is the greatest? When you hear that the disciples as grown men even argued at times about who among them was the greatest, don't you sort of ask, really? I mean, adults? I just don't hear many of you adults in that way arguing over who's the greatest. You might behind closed doors when you're having a spat about who takes care of the house better or keeps the garage clean or folds the clothes, but rarely do you have a full-blown argument about who's the greatest. And then if you walked around with Jesus Christ, who was the greatest, wouldn't you be sort of intimidated about having arguments about who's the greatest? That is rather childish. So isn't it interesting that when they asked him who is the greatest, Jesus brought a little child and put the little child in front of them because they're acting childish. That's what's so fascinating about the perfect master teacher, the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. He sees things we don't see. He understood things we, have a, we, we cannot naturally understand, and he leads us in the light. Now, some people say the difference between husbands and wives regarding the children in the home is this. The women's emotions go up and down with the children as deeply or high as they go all through life. And so the, the mom's heart is jerked around by everything that happens to her babies. My babies, right? The father, he's vaguely aware there's some people shorter than him in the house. <laughs> well, the disciples were men. And when you look at the way they treated children, they would try to keep them from bothering Jesus, right? So they sort of fit that idea. So Jesus, master teacher, when they come and ask who's the greatest, brings this little kid, probably a, a two to four-year-old. So about half of the kids that were up here with me earlier were about two to four years old. Brings one of those little two to four-year-olds up in front of them, a little child, it says, a little child, and this is what he says. And it'll be on the screen for you, but it's also on page 9 of your folder. It's from Matthew 18. This, incidentally, is right before the great Matthew 18 chapter verses about church and finding the lost sheep and discipline. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, whenever Jesus said that, he was saying, perk up, this is big truth, not little truth. Truly, I tell you, big truth, unless you change and become like little children, look at that phrase, read it with me out loud, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Man, that's strong words, right? Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They say, who is the greatest? And he says to them, unless you become like this little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying they're not Christians at all, but he's telling them the plain naked truth that 
without repentance of being haughty about themselves, without having the wrong definition of be, what it means to be a grown-up that I was sharing with the children, they are not people of faith. The doorway through which we walk into, to, into the kingdom, into faith, into the church, into understanding who Christ is and what he has done for us, the doorway is total zeroing out your view of yourself. It's totally giving up every shred of self-righteousness or value based on anything other than the love and acceptance of the God who made you. And the little child naturally models that, never perfectly, because they're little sinners. I used to hold up our little screaming babies and go, you're so lucky you have a savior. <laughs> right, they're still little sinners, but they model very well compared to adults, little two to four year old. They haven't, they haven't learned to have this big list of all their accomplishments with which they judge themselves to be better than their playmates. They haven't decided that based on somebody's money and influence that someone has more value than them or not because when they speak, people listen or they're able to move the needle financially. They don't have any of that. Paupers play with king's kids as equals, right? They haven't, they haven't created an ideal self that they, they think that they are and they strive to be and they must work so hard to protect as their own reputation so that they're insecure if someone might say something about them because when somebody says something about them, they know I'm just a child. I'm just a little kid, you know. So what, right? We used to say that to vicars, like the cool thing about the vicars, no one expects you to be a pastor yet. Yeah. Little kid, cool thing about being a kid, nobody expects you to be an adult yet, right? They live in that freedom. Jesus said, unless you return and become like this little child who asks permission from God for everything and says, I'm an empty zero without God's insight pouring into my heart, unless you do that, you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven. So this is what he says. Grown-ups, watch the children. What you thought you've, you've successfully grown past, stop. Go back and watch the children and be a child of God first. Your identity, when you look yourself in the heart or the mirror, should be, I'm a child of God. A child. Not the president of the bank or anything, pastor of the church. I am a child of God. That's who I am. He says, that's what it means to be in the kingdom. And if you're in that child of God mode, you're the greatest in the kingdom. Because guess what? We're all equal as children of God. There is no greatest, right? So he says, you're, that's his last line at verse four. You're the greatest. Watch the children. Watch for them. Now, remember what I said about men and vaguely aware that the kids are there? These disciples... This is the flip side of that. When they're busy arguing about who's the greatest and evaluating people based on whether they've grown up as men and women yet or not, they had a tendency to neglect children. You can see them in other stories where the women are bringing their children to have them blessed by Jesus and they're trying to push them out the door and say, no, no, don't bother the teacher, right? They had a tendency to segregate, not based on race, 
or gender, but based on age. And Jesus loves the little children. And Jesus knows that their trust in God and their parents and in him is pure and holy. And Jesus knows he wants all grown-ups to be like children. And Jesus knows there's a child in every one of you adults. And Jesus wants the disciples to recognize when he turns this church over to them, they're going to need to create through the word of God a place where adults and children alike are completely safe spiritually. They're safe with God. So this is what he says next. It's a, it's a fantastic transition. They go from asking a question to getting a whole lot more than they bargained for. And these are the strongest words we ever hear Jesus say about the evil on this planet. The strongest words. And whoever welcomes one such little child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. It would be better to be drowned like that. Millstone, that big round stone they ground wheat with, with a donkey with a pole trying, you know, walking around in a circle. Huge rock, several hundred pounds. Tie it around his neck, throw him in the sea. Be better. Because judgment in hell is going to be harder. Woe to the world. Remember what Bill Starkey read over here about Psalm 11? Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come. I'm going to unpack that phrase in a minute. But woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand, he's talking to those 12 disciples. If your hand or foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. And if you're, you're uh, let me get back to the, it's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels are all in heaven, always see the face of my Father in heaven. There is a huge, huge agnostic, atheistic idea that we all deal with every day. And if we're not dealing with it internally, the agnostics and atheists will make us deal with it. Let me explain. This is the thought. If there is a God, why in the world is there so much evil in the world? What is, where is he? What's he doing? What's the purpose of it all? All the pain and hurt and ugly and death and rape and and ch children trafficking, and all the abuse in homes, and the abuse at school, and the abuse in the community. If there is a God who's righteous and just, the way Psalm 11 says, where is he, and what's he doing? The first question you want to ask is, how does he feel about it? Is he indifferent? Well, what do you get from what Jesus said? Who's the Holy Son of God walking in it? Who's going to be tortured to death because of it? What do you get from him? when he's the guy that cleansed Mary Magdalene of all those demons and she'd been used and exploited by man after man after man after man. What do you get from Jesus when he says he's, he knew she was a little child that needed to be restored? 
I see strong, stark anger and emotion that comes from justice. If, I'm going to add the phrase that, that includes the rest of the Bible, if they do not come to faith in Christ, those who cause others to stumble, those who lead others into temptation, those professors who stand in front of a classroom and deconstruct the Christian faith and destroy all the faith of their students that come out of all the churches everywhere to their higher learning institution, they will, it, they will wish that they had a millstone thrown around their neck and drowned and end it all when they get to hell if they do not come to faith first. It is, it is a, a, a huge visceral thing for God the Father and God the Son to watch humanity lead humanity astray. One thing to see the devil do it. It's a whole other thing to watch another human being take an innocent little child and abuse them sexually or physically or verbally. It's visceral for God. See that? So then you say, what does he mean by these things must come? That verse 7? Look at it closely. These, these things must come. That's not a must. We spent two weeks on this in seminary many moons ago. The will of God is not that evil happen on the earth. It's not a must that God wills evil as if it's a desire of his. But when Adam and Eve fell into sin, there was a catastrophic universal decision God had to make. Do I scrap the whole project and start over with a new planet and a new universe? Or do I redeem humanity? The second choice would be much more painful for you and me and for God. But we, as unborn children of Adam and Eve, were worth that much to him. That he and us would go through it together. He saw every abuse that would ever happen when he walked into that garden and he said, I'm going to redeem humanity, not destroy you. I told you in the day that you eat it, you will die, but now you have a time of grace. Someday you will turn, return to dust, but now you can live out your life in this agonist world with thorns and thistles and sweat of your brow and the pain of childbirth and evil, and you'll endure your, your, one, your one son's going to kill the other one. That's the first death that happened on the planet. Talk about abuse, right? Based on self-righteousness, based on measuring who was the greatest, and God saw it all, from Cain and Abel to the last one that got killed last night. He said, I'm going to go through with it because I'm going to redeem people. Their souls are eternal. Their bodies are not. It's spiritual faith. It's truths of God's word. It's the answer to the question I was asking. It's Jesus' answer. They must come, but if they don't come to faith, those who lead others astray, they'll be in the worst fires of hell. They'll be in the worst eternal punishment. They'll wish, they'll wish that they had drowned. So he says to his disciples, you be serious about yourself. You be serious about you. Don't think about other people. Think about yourself. If you have a, a, a way that you neglect others or you have a way that you lead others into sin, you have a hardness in your heart that makes you say silly things that makes others take God not so serious you gouge it out 
cut your hand off if it were your hand or pluck your eye out if it were your eye. You be serious about it. It's okay, dear Christian, to be repentant. It's this idea, this American idea that we need to avoid suffering feelings of pain at all cost is not spiritual. It's okay to be repentant and to hurt over your failings. I know it's happened more, but twice in my ministry of 30 years, I've sat with elderly parents that are weeping. You know why? They let the first 25 years that they had their kids at their home under their tutelage completely void of Christian teaching. They themselves had grown up around it, but they decided they would neglect that part of their lives. And now as adults, they've come back home to Jesus and they lost all the formative years with their children who are now adults and they're atheists or agnostic. And these elderly parents sincerely regretted failing their children. What to do, right? When you listen to Jesus' words here, would you say they are law or gospel? Say they're law, right? They're what you, the law is the standard by which God wants you to live your life. It's the right and the wrong, right? Avoid the wrong and do the right. This is law. The law is good and wonderful and honest. And the honest truth is, it's not just those elderly parents that have reason to weep. We have all been poor examples to our children in one way or the other, right? We have all fallen into sin. And that doesn't make it okay. Well, everybody does it, so it's okay. It makes everybody need to hear the words of their Savior when he says, gouge it out, repent of it, weep in sorrow over your own sins before me, that, that you did not value children the way that I do, always. And then he's always there with himself. Here the guy telling us all these words is the one that would pay the price for it. He never gives you the law just to make you freak out. He gives it to you so that you would become a child. So as a child, you would say, well, daddy, what do I do? I broke it. I don't, can't fix it. I don't know what to do. I can't get any time back. And he goes, I get to be your savior. I am your savior. I saw this project starting with Adam and Eve fell into sin from eternity. It was in my head and I'm here to redeem you. So first of all, I'm going to tell you, dear parent, you're forgiven. God's been compensating for weak parents for at least 10,000 years, probably. So, right? whatever the length of the earth is. God's been compensating for us weak adults. God, for if you are someone that you know and you're thinking of something you've done abusive to another person or a little, a little people in your life, it's not like, oh no, you're in that class of sinners who can't be redeemed. No, no, no. He redeemed all people. He loves the perpetrator and the victim. He redeemed everyone and he redeemed you too. If you're the one that perpetrated it, he redeemed you. He paid for that. You are forgiven. If we, the biggest event in our life is not our 
feelings of repentance. The biggest event in our life is what he did on the cross. The feelings of repentance are just the law having its work. So we crawl up to the cross together, perpetrator and victim, and we say, if it were not for that cross, nothing would be restored. That's the secret to the victim forgiving the perpetrator, and it's the secret for the perpetrator forgiving themselves and learning to apologize and be honest with the victim and to become a protector for the rest of their lives instead of a, an offender. It's the cross. <clears throat> if I were sitting where you are, and I'm not, I'm standing up here, I would, I would try to assimilate a couple of things to take from Jesus' words where he says, their angels, <clears throat> that last verse of what I have for you there, verse 10, their the little kids' angels are looking at the face of the Father in heaven, waiting to do his bidding to protect them. God's watching out for the children. He's looking on surveillance at them and watching you with them. They're, they're, I can think of four things, and to try to help you remember them, I didn't write them down, but I, they have an R at the beginning, so maybe the alliteration will help you. First of all, when you hear Jesus' words, become a child before him by repenting. Just be honest with God and yourself about ways you have neglected or offended the more vulnerable, the child and the other adults around you or the children themselves. Repent of being passe about children education. Repent of thinking it's not that important. Repent of just letting your kids sit in front of a TV and let the pagans teach them a show after show after show what to think. Repent of all that. Repent of telling you know, off-color jokes to your family. Just repent of all of it. Cling to the cross. You're forgiven. Washed away. So repentance. Next R, respect. Live your life respecting children and the child and all of the adults around you from this day forward. Respect that God wants you to be a protector and an encourager and someone that people feel safe around. And they are safe. Not just feel safe, but they are safe. They're safe spiritually and safe physically. That you would be a safe harbor. You want a little side reading? Isaiah 32. In Christ, everyone becomes a shelter from the storm, a shadow of a big rock, a stream in the desert. Christians, you are those blessings to other people. So, re so, so respect the children. Respect them enough to correct them too because they still have childish hearts. They've got ways they're an example, but they still have childish hearts. And be brave enough and don't be an, a kindergartist. You know what that is? Kindergartist, that's that the child is the king of the family. And whatever they feel like, as long as they're not unhappy, we got to do it. No, teach them that God is the king of the family and that we're all going to learn to love each other and serve us. But, but respect that they need you that way then restore the third one is restore one of the one of the biggest failures that i have noticed over the years is that a parent an elderly parent might confess to their pastor that they feel badly that they neglected but they won't go sit with the adult child and tell them that too humbling it's too embarrassing they don't afraid they don't know how it's going to turn out one of the most beautiful examples, in the, I told you I had two examples in my ministry. One of these elderly ladies said, I took my daughter to lunch. She's in her 50s. Took her to lunch and apologized to her. She said, for what, Mom? She said, 
I, I, tears rolling down her cheek. I had you in my home and I, I didn't teach you about Jesus. I didn't let you learn the Bible. You, you're clueless. You're like a blank slate. In the, in, and I had it in my heart. And now I, I'm learning it again. And I lost all of that time. And I, I just want you to know that I'm sorry I didn't teach you all that. I didn't model that for you. The daughter didn't see it the same way as her mother because she's still an, an agnostic. But she listened. And she's got those seeds planted in her mind and her heart. You're planting seeds. You're not just going based on results right in front of your eyes, right? Mark 4, the seed grows when you're not looking. In restoration, here's another one. Profess your faith. I don't mean like that you believe. That's not professing the faith. I mean profess the faith. Tell your children whether you lost all that time or not. Tell your children who Jesus is to you. If you don't know how to do it face-to-face, -face, do it on a recording. Do it in a writing. Express Jesus to them. Let them have the seed of the gospel now. You're not dead yet. You're still their parent, right? They may have made you feel like you're marginalized a little bit, but just do it anyway. Plant the seed. Plant the seed in the, their, their little heart because that's the power of God, right? So I, the other example I was sharing I had too was this, this, this dad, before he passed, because he was, had a chronic illness that was going to take him out, he made a one-hour recording and told his story of faith that he, has, he had never told his adult children when they were little or adults. How he had started out as a young believer and his whole journey of faith. He said lots of other things to them, but he included a profession of his faith in Jesus as the Savior. And we gave it to them after he passed because that's what he wanted repent respect restore and then remember remember that you have a savior and they do too who's bigger than everything you're thinking everything you can see with your eyes everything you can make happen with your voice everything you could ever write Jesus is much, much bigger. He is our Savior. You are forgiven. You are loved. You are, this isn't all like the whole world hangs in your balance just because you are the adult in that person's life. You are forgiven. And they have a Savior too. And he's not going to waste their whole life on just you being a weak adult in their life. He's got lots of people to bring into their life. Because he's their savior too. So remember, you don't need to try to be the savior. Just point to the savior for yourself and for others. Amen.